You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. I hope everyone's doing all right this morning. Give me a thumbs up if you're doing all right. Sweet. Thumbs up. Perfect. Right on. All right. To a variety of, of people, I identify myself as a variety of things. All right. To a person whom I have just met, and they ask me, well, what do you do? I would identify myself as a pastor. And sometimes with the qualifier that I used to be a welder. Depends on the situation. All right. To someone that I would meet at a pastor's conference or you know, a, a, a Christian function of sorts, you know, I wouldn't have to necessarily say I'm a pastor, but I could go into more depth about that, and I would identify myself as perhaps a youth and outreach pastor at the Gate Church. Yes, that's the one down by the Pita Pit. Yeah, across from Galt Gardens. Yeah, there used to be a bank, that one. have to be very clear about that. To someone who lives inside Lethbridge, I would say that I live in Coaldale. All right? But to someone who lives somewhere else in the province of Alberta, I might say I'm from the Lethbridge area. All right? It's easier to understand perhaps that way. When I travel, though, to you know, a place like India, where I've been, or to Europe, I identify as a Canadian. All right? And then if they, perhaps if they know something about, about Canada, I would say, yeah, I'm from the province of Alberta. Yes, that's where the Calgary Stampede is. And no, I've actually never been. Thanks for asking. <laughs> and no, I don't know Tom. All right. <laughs> I've never been to Toronto, so. <laughs> we identify ourselves to other people in ways that we have self-identified. Right? Things that we have thought about and that we consider to be who we are. So I am male, I am married, I'm in my mid-30s, I like tattoos, and I'm a Christian. All those things, I can identify myself that way. And all these things are the ways that I have self-identified, but as I say them, you or other people may have your own thoughts and your own baggage, I guess, that you put onto these identifiers. So the way that I self-identify may be completely different than the way that you perceive me. All right? Gender and sex and relationship status, those are, those are huge hot topic issues in the arena of identity in the here and now. You know, I identify myself as mid-30s, but as a 38-year-old man, you might consider me late 30s. I'm clinging to mid-30s till I'm like at least 41. <laughs> I like tattoos, all right? I have a few, but I'm aware of the cultural baggage that goes along with that, all right? And I'm okay. I'm okay with it if you don't like them or if you don't want to get any. That's fine. I identify. I like tattoos. I'm a Christian. I identify myself as that, but... Someone might take that, and I'm sure that you're all well aware of this, and think that myself and all Christians are narrow-minded, and that we as Christians all vote in a particular way, 
and that I'm intolerant of people who aren't like me. Sad but true, right? We have that perceived notion about us. We must realize that the way that we self-identify and the way that others identify us might be at odds, right? Different things. We might have different definitions of the words and ideas that we use. And the identity that we are to the world is a mixture of the thing of so many different ideas that include our own identities and also what other people think about us. And so how do you identify yourself? And how do others identify you? We're continuing our series called A Great Cloud of Witnesses. And in the last two weeks, we've learned about Abraham. And we have been learning how Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have been on this adventure of faith. And that they, 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 by faith, he set out to go to an unknown place. By faith, he went to live in the land that was promised. And by faith, Sarah was able to have a baby. And so let's pick up where we have left off and read in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. And it says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the, in, in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. If we go back to the book of Genesis, we find the story in chapter 22 that the writer of Hebrews was talking about. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the story, perhaps it's familiar to you, goes something like this, that, that God tests Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, the one that you love, Isaac, there can be no mistaking who God is talking about here. That one as a burnt offering. It's a big ask. So Abraham responds by getting up and preparing to do so. He takes wood, fire, his son Isaac, and some servants, and they start hiking. Hiking toward where God had told them, told him to do this deed. And when they get closer, he tells the servants to wait for them to return after they go and worship. He tells his son Isaac, when questioned about the sacrificial lamb that was usually present in these sort of functions, that God himself would provide the lamb. And they reach the site, they build the altar, and then Abraham ties up his son and puts him on the altar and is about to sacrifice him. When the voice of an angel of God calls out and stops him, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looks up and sees a male sheep caught in, by its horns in a bush, and then he goes and sacrifices that instead of his son. Wow. The angel of the Lord calls a second time and tells Abraham in Genesis 22, 16 to 18. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, 
Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, earlier in Abraham's life, God had changed Abram's name to Abraham, which had the distinct purpose of giving Abraham a new identity. The name meant, Abraham, meant that he will be the father of a multitude of nations. It talks about this in Genesis 17, 5 and 6, and that this multitude of nations and kings will come through Sarah's son, who was yet unborn and whose name was to be Isaac, according to Genesis 17, 21. Now, God had given Abraham a new name, a new identity, and it was one that Abraham really liked. For most of it, his life, it, it seemed he had lived in fear of, well, dying before he could have kids, hence his lies about Sarah being his sister so Pharaoh wouldn't kill him, and also the fear of not being able to have kids, hence the idea of fathering a baby through Hagar. So, for God to promise Abraham that he would have nations coming from him through Isaac it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. It was a new identity for Abraham to claim. And all the while, just imagine me with me if you will, that I think all the people around Abraham did not identify him as the father of many nations <laughs> because he only had one son, and that was Hagar through Hagar, his son Ishmael, and also he was really old, like he was really old, older than I am, like he was late 30s. No. <laughs> Abraham's identity that God had given him and he self-identified with was not perceived by the people around him. And so when Abraham gets to the point in his life where we pick up the story in Genesis 22, where God tests him and tells him to offer Isaac as a burnt offering, I believe that God was telling Abraham to give up his identity and to submit the future of his family, which was his identity, back to God. Abraham passes that test. And by faith in the one who makes the promises of identity, receives Isaac back and receives the identity of one who completely trusts God to make all things happen. If we are surrounded by such witnesses like Abraham, who offer us an example of faith to follow, how then are we supposed to respond to this story? We are to respond in the way that the Apostle Paul did when he met Jesus. Before Jesus encountered Saul, as he was known at that time, on the road to Damascus, this is what he was like. 
He actually wrote about his former in Philippians 3, verses 5 to 6, or 4 to 6, I should say. He writes this, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. All right, that's, a, that's a pretty big humble brag right there. Saul's identity was one of unbending loyalty to his religion. An unbreaking pillar to rule keeping. In Acts chapter 9, we read that Saul was on his way to Damascus to breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus. He was going to put Christians in prison or even worse. He had a strong sense of identity that carried him to do these things that he thought were right. But Jesus... Jesus, who in his mercy towards Saul and to bring glory to his name, his own name, speaks to Saul and completely changes his identity. And with a new identity comes a new name that is eventually introduced. Saul, which meant desired, turns into Paul, which means little or small. And I believe there's great symbolism here. Paul sees himself no longer as as one who is desired and deserving of praise, but one who is small in comparison to his new master. His identity is no longer what he was before, but what Jesus had done in him. So if we go back to Philippians 3, Paul continues with his little autobiography here. And he writes this in 7 to 10. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering becoming like him in his death. All his identity was like dung, or like the worst words that we could use to describe that, compared to being known by Jesus and being known for new life in Christ. In Galatians, Paul puts his new identity very bluntly. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His old self, his old identity as an upstanding, pharisaical zealot 
was put to death. And his new identity, which is Christ, is the one who now lives. Moreover, this new identity is one that is to be grasped, that can be grasped by all that are, who, that are in Christ. As he goes on to tell the Galatian church in 3.26-28, to 28, and it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is that if we are in Christ, then all of the self-identifiers become secondary to the new identity that Christ has given us. And I say to you, if you listen to God, the identity that he puts on you, the identity that your loving creator, your loving father has given you, he calls you beloved. He calls you and says that you are very good. Nothing, nothing can change the title that he has given you. A daughter of the king, a son of the king. Let that sink in. We do not insist on our own identities. We do not insist on a certain political party or agenda, but we follow our sovereign King Jesus. We do not put on our own national or regional identity above our citizenship in the heavenly kingdom. We are citizens of heaven way before we are Albertans. We do not take pride or shame in our financial or employment status, but we put our trust in God as the one who provides for us. We do not put our identity as male or female or any other gender or orientation you have identified yourself as above the identity as Christ followers who are striving to be holy through the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. If we are in Christ, we are a brand new creation. We have been given a new identity and everything else becomes secondary. Abraham, through trust and faith in God, sacrificed, gave up his identity of the one who would just start a family, and, and God gave him the identity as a blessed father of many nations. Are you ready to count your whole identity as rubbish <laughs> so that you can gain a brilliantly new identity of being in Christ? says in Colossians 3, 3 and 4. I'm changing the words so it makes us into a group here. For we have died, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. When Christ becomes our primary identity and we listen to the words that he is telling us, he speaks life. He speaks life over all other things in our lives. He purifies us. He refines us. He changes us so that our old self with its practices can be put away, as Paul says in Colossians 3, 9, and 10. We are a new creation, and this new self is constantly being renewed in the knowledge of its creator, of the image of its creator. If we die to our own identity and we come to full life in Christ's identity, what does that mean? What does that look like? It means that we must be known for our unconditional love for everyone. Especially those we don't agree with. Especially those that make us feel uncomfortable. We must be known for our pursuit of truth and holiness. But not at the expense of living out Christ's love for our neighbors. Truth and love. Go together, they have to. Peter writes this in his first letter. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The next logical step in my thought process about thinking about what a whole community of Christ-identified people would look like And as it happens, Peter spells it out quite well if you keep reading his first letter. And so if you're looking for a challenge, do that this week. Read the whole thing. It's not very long. And then when you're done, read it again. (laughs) But just a little bit more slowly so it can sink in. It's a good book. It's a good letter. And it says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see, may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I want to pick out just one idea here. There's a lot that we could say. But for the sake of time, here's just one idea. Peter tells us that we should proclaim the excellencies of him, Jesus, who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's an idea of joyful journey here. 
the people of God moving away from darkness, moving away from sin, our former identities, the things that we once held on to, and we walk towards the kingdom of Christ. We walk with Jesus. And as we do, he forms in us, as a community, a new identity. One that is marked by humility, service to others, speaking the truth in love and grace. And so I call upon you now to join this joyful journey and walk in faith like Abraham did, to give up your old identity and trust that God will provide you with a new imperishable identity that is being renewed in the image of its creator. Mm-hmm.